everybody. Welcome and thank you for joining us today on Hashtag No Limits. I'm your host, Shelly Kino. Hashtag No Limits is about people that society puts limits on, but who have bust through those limits. Ophelia said in Hamlet, we know what we are, but not what we may be. I believe this to be true and that there is no better example than the caterpillar turning into the butterfly. The caterpillar literally dissolves and its cells reform into a butterfly. As the butterfly emerges from the cocoon, it has to struggle in order for its wings to be strong enough to fly. Obviously, this is no easy process, but neither is breaking through limits that society has set upon a person. But just like the caterpillar, when we believe in ourselves, we can accomplish more than others might think. If we have a support system around us to encourage us and facilitate our growth even better. My guest today certainly knew who he was one day, but the very next day wasn't sure who he would be. Eric, thank you for joining me today on Hashtag No Limits. Please tell us a little about yourself. Sure. Shelly, first of all, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you and to reach some people and hopefully talk about all kinds of good things and inspire some people to do some really wonderful things. Absolutely. My name is Eric Westicott, and uh, I'm a, an attorney in the St. Louis metro area. I've uh, been an attorney for about 20 years. My practice mix includes all kinds of good stuff, but mostly working with entrepreneurs and nonprofits and families with children with disabilities, helping them with some of their special needs planning and supplemental needs trust. Um, and I happen to be on your show today because I also uh, have a disability and have been able to uh, participate in all kinds of good things and help some people out. So hopefully we can chat about that a little bit today. All right, so I mentioned Ophelia's line and how she said, we know who we are, but not who we will become. And that was very literal for you from one day to the very next day when you were in college. Can you explain that further? Oh, sure. So um, I was um, injured 27 years ago in sort of a strange accident. I was uh, a fourth year student at uh, what the time was Southwest Missouri State. It's now known as Missouri State, so I'm dating myself. <laughs> um, I was in my fourth year year and uh, was in a course of study to go on to medical school. So uh, I was busy with all of that kind of good stuff. I was playing in an intramural softball game on a Sunday morning in October when uh, I tried to uh, score otherwise a home run off of a double. And as I rounded third base, the ball beat me uh, to the plate and the catcher caught it. And I knew I was really dead to rights out uh, when I saw him catch it. And I thought to myself in just that split second, you know, you've got two choices here. Either A, you can just give yourself up because you're gonna be out, or B, you can clean this clock. And then in the next just microsecond, I thought to myself, no, you can't clean this clock. He's a good friend of yours. If you do that, you're gonna cause all kinds of havoc and mess. And then I thought, but that's not you to give up either. You're the only competitor. And so I didn't do either. I got caught in the middle of my decision. Oh. And I ended up diving, uh, which was really strange because I played really competitive baseball for many, many years before and knew that was a no-no. And when I dove, I ducked my head down and somehow I caught the top of my head on his right thigh and I pushed my chin down to my chest. And in the time it takes for you to blink your eye, I uh, went from a fully functioning 20-year-old college student on his way to medical school to a uh, C4-5 complete quadriplegic which essentially means that I don't have any function or uh, sensation below my chest level. Wow. 
And to, to know those thoughts, you know, and I think having to make those split second decisions, you know, and like you said, you, you thought, oh, I, I'm going to do this. No, I'm going to do this. Oh, and, and then you just didn't make either decision and ended up doing maybe sort of a combination of the, you know, like your brain said, oh, maybe if you dive, it'll maybe knock the ball out. I mean, you know, who knows how the brain worked at that point. So mm -hmm. what was your life like after that? I mean, obviously you said you were, you know, you were fully able to, to walk and use your arms and then mm -hmm. all of a sudden you're in the hospital. I, so I presume you woke up. I mean, were you knocked unconscious or? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. No, I was conscious the whole time. Somehow uh, I ended up on my back uh, right at the plate. I don't know how that happened because I dove really with my belly to the ground, a Superman style. And uh, I ended up with my hat squished over my eyes. And I, I thought I saw the ball pop free for a second. So my first thought was, oh gosh, get up, get to the plate, you're going to score the run. And when I attempted to do that, I realized, oh geez, something is drastically wrong here. And in that same moment, my breathing stopped. Uh, the muscles in my chest quit working. And the diaphragm, fortunately, was still working. So I was able to breathe with it. But breathing for me has been changed ever since. Wow. And I knew right then and there I'd broken my neck because I'd been in a pre-med course of study and I'd been an athletic trainer for a while. So I knew what had happened to me. And uh, one of my buddies came over to me and, and uh, as I was laying there, and he kneeled down and said, hey, it's, it's just a stinger. You're going to be all right. And I said, no, no. I said, I broke my neck. You need to take charge because he was a pre-med student as well. Don't let anybody touch me and call the ambulance and get them here. And fortunately, he took charge and, and, and got those things accomplished. Uh, I think a, a big part of my recovery is due to you know people not trying to help me. Anyways, the ambulance got there and they put me on the spine board and did all that kind of good stuff and, and hoisted me under the gurney. And I can remember the sky was just bright, bright blue that day. It was really bright. And um, all of the folks there were, you know, really quiet and subdued. You could feel the tension. I could feel it too. And so I, I desperately want to tell people, I'm okay. I'm going to be fine. I do a thumbs up or something. Nothing was happening. So they, they whisked me into the ambulance and we were driving off to the hospital and we weren't, the lights were on, no sirens. We're not blazing through stoplights. And I thought, well, that's a pretty good sign. You know, this isn't a totally emergency break. And the, the tech in the back was asking me pretty basic questions just to clear me from head injury. What'd you have for breakfast? Um, you know, what's your name? Who's the president? Those kinds of things. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I'm all right. Maybe it is just a stinker. Maybe it's just, you know, some final shock or something. We get to the hospital and that changed in a big hurry. The doors flew open and I was whisked into the, the ER. And I can remember just a flurry of activity over the top of me. And a doctor came in and introduced himself. And he said, we're going to take care of you. And that's the last I remember for about 10 days. I guess they hit me with some sort of sedative so that they could, you know, check me out. And uh, from then on for the next 10 days, it was just kind of in and out. Time, time really just was goofed up. But when I woke up, I had a whole bunch of, of doctors introduce themselves. And the pulmonologist came in and said, yeah, you've got about a 50-50 chance to make it. And uh, we're hoping to do our best by you, but it's going to be tough on you. And uh, he said, you'll never walk again. You're going to live in an institution. You'll never do anything with your life. Well, that kind of got me going a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I've had so many people that I have known that, that that's what the doctors have told them. You know, this is it for you. 
whether it's, um, and by the way, hi, Greg, Greg's um, one of our viewers and he, he said hi. So I wanted to make sure and say hi to him. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I've had people that when their children were born with disabilities, the doctors have, you know, said, well, you know, I mean, I don't know if they give them the worst case scenario because they have to, or if it's a way that they think it's going to motivate, or if it's, a, I'm going to give you the really bad news and hopefully it doesn't happen that way. Um, but, but I'm glad for you that it motivated you. Um, yeah, it, it may have been one of those motivating tactics. I don't know. I just thought, man, this guy has horrible bedside manner. Right. But it, it certainly got me going and it certainly uh, sparked that flame. Um, so if that was intentional, I guess I, I owe him a great deal of gratitude and apology, but I just don't think it was. Yeah, I don't think it was either. So um, what happened? So this was October, typical college semester ends in December. Um, mm -hmm. Were you able? I'm sorry. October. Okay. Early yeah. October. So were you able to finish that semester that semester or did you have to take time off because you said you were out for 10 days? So I'm assuming, you know, recovering everything was a lot longer. Yeah. So during that 10 days, I, I uh, underwent something called spinal fusion surgery. And at that time, this was 1993. This is a long time ago. They still went through the back of the neck rather than through the front and essentially put some wire in and made figure eights through uh, vertebra three, four and five and then took a bone uh, scraping off of my hip and made a bone graph over that. So fused those three vertebrae together. Uh, I learned that um, my uh, orthopedic um, injury was not so severe. Um, all the vertebral bodies were intact. Uh, I really had more of a dislocation than anything else and learned that the resulting swelling from that dislocation is what caused the paralysis. So no cutting of the cord or any of that kind of good stuff just bruising and swelling, and that causes cell death there, and that's what leads to the paralysis. Um, so after uh, 23 days at the hospital there, um, I was fortunate enough to uh, go to a specialty rehab facility out in Colorado called Craig Hospital, and spent the next four and a half months out there trying to learn about what's life gonna be like with this kind of disability, and more importantly, learning to manage it by helping those around me help me. And that was a huge, huge skill I learned about. Yeah, and that's that's wonderful that you talked about those around you and how they could help you, that you needed to learn how to let them know what you needed, what you could do on your own, and what you you couldn't do. Um, so you've, you've said that you were a pre-med student, but you mentioned in your intro that you are an attorney. So where did that switch happen? You know, it's funny when you, when you go to law school, you meet so many people who say organic chemistry got you too. And <laughs> so, you know, kind of a running joke. Um, so, so yeah, so I was fortunate enough to, to complete my, my rehab out at Craig and then come back to the St. Louis area and um, just kind of learn to live life for a little bit. Uh, but I, I was very fortunate to get back to Southwest Missouri State the following August. So I got hurt in October and, you know, uh, 10 months later, I was back at the university and uh, was uh, lucky in that there was a brand new residence hall that was uh, built with the new ADA specs and all of those kinds of good things. So I was able to really participate again in, in university life. I've been very active uh, in all kinds of phases of social and 
and leadership roles on campus and was able to go back and do that um, and finish my degree. I had, I think, 15 to 18 hours left at that time. And so I finished my degree. So I have a degree in biology with a minor in chemistry and a minor in marketing. And I graduated in December of 95 and thought to myself, what am I going to do now? There's not a whole lot of career path for someone who doesn't drive, who can't even feed himself, can't get in and out of bed. What am I going to do? So I came back to St. Louis to kind of regroup and uh, move back in with my, my parents and had a real neat opportunity to uh, meet who be a person who became a real mentor for me at Washington University School of Occupational Therapy. A uh, gentleman, uh, his name was Dr. David Gray. Um, unfortunately, he's no longer with us, but at that time, he was a new professor to the program, but was world-renowned as he had been a presidential appointee under President Reagan to the NIH and helped draft and do a lot of the underpinning for the ADA law, which at that time was only two and a half years old. Anyways, we ended up just hitting it off, and he took me under his wing, and he said, what are you going to do with yourself? I said, gosh, I really don't know. I'm here working out in your lab, being a little lab rat for you so we can try to learn to teach people disabilities to drive, which we pioneered at that time. It was really cool. Uh, but he said, well, you ever thought about law school? And I looked at him and I said, isn't it pronounced liar? <laughs> and he said, all kidding aside, he said, you know, education is always a wonderful thing. And even if you never practice, you're still going to be better for having had the experience and you're going to open yourself up to all kinds of peers who are going to go all kinds of places and offer you opportunities that you otherwise wouldn't have. And I thought, well, that's pretty sound logic. Maybe I ought to do that. So fortunately, I was able to do uh, well enough on the entrance exams and all that stuff to get in. And lo and behold, here I am today. And so have you ever gone back to that doctor who said, you're not going to end up doing anything and, and say, hey, guess what? You were wrong. <laughs> you, you know, I, I thought about that, uh, but I never did. Uh, and I don't really know why, because I had opportunity. I was back in, the, in Springfield, the town where I hurt myself. Uh, but I thought, you know, that's kind of petty of me to do that. And, and I really don't need to do that. I'm doing well. You know, I'm getting through the rest of my education. Um, I'm learning about all kinds of ways to, you know, see if I can participate in society and even add to it. Um, so I was doing well and I thought, I, I don't wanna lower myself to that level. I'm just gonna go out and make something of myself. Yeah, good for you. So besides the fact that you you know, have become a lawyer, um, what other kind of limits that have been placed before you? Um, thankfully, you, you talked about the fact that the ADA came into play shortly after your accident. Um, right before, right before. Right before, your, yeah, sorry. Um, and so, so what kinds of things, you know, like societal things like, uh, and what have been your best reactions to who you are today and what have been your worst reactions to who you are today? Sure, sure. So, you know, one, one of the most, I think, important lessons I learned when I was out in Colorado at, at Craig and then subsequently back to college is, um, you know, your limits are really what you put on yourself. Um, there, there are always ways to circumvent. And so I had this thought that instead of looking for barriers, I would look for opportunities to not have barriers. Mm -hmm. um, so if there was something I wanted to do and there wasn't uh, an inherent way to do that, whether it be a ramp or a curb cut or a wide hallway or whatever, 
just get creative and problem solve and figure it out. And I took a lot of patience and had asked a lot to help. And in that lesson, I learned that people are more than willing to help. All you need to do is ask. Reason mm-hmm. thank you are pretty good motivators. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really didn't look for barriers per se, uh, but at, at, at that early time, you know, transportation is always one of the most difficult for someone in a chair. And at that time, I was not driving. I do drive now, which may scare the crap out of some of your. <laughs> uh, so I do drive, but um, at that time I didn't. So that's the biggest barrier. You know, you have this new perspective on society, and you realize how mobile we are as people. We don't really walk a lot of places unless we're in a really densely populated urban environment. And, uh, you know, being able to get around is is quite difficult. So that was the first real kind of hurdle I had to get over and was fortunate to do that. Um, And then after that, it's really just physical stuff. I haven't found, and I've been fortunate, I haven't found a whole lot of either bigotry or any kind of uh, persecution or anybody saying, oh my gosh, there was one time I remember being uh, in my summer semester after I'd hurt myself and I was in the business school going up in an elevator. And for some reason, there was a, a young mom on there on the elevator with two probably toddler type age children. And they were already on the elevator prior to my getting on. And so I jumped on the elevator and I turned around and uh, was facing the doors and as was she. And I could hear her whisper to her kids, don't touch him, you might be able to get it. And I was, I was so floored that I couldn't even respond. And she got off at one of the next doors and I was just kind of stunned. And I, I thought to myself, you know, that's awful. But the worst part about that is she's teaching those kids that, you know, people in chairs have diseases and are 30 and can't do that. And, And that's what made me most, I think, upset is for those kids. But that's happened only that one time. Very, very rarely, very rarely. I find that um, smiles go a long way and hellos and simple kind of common courtesies go a long way. Um, And I I try to just live my life as if I'm me. And I think I've heard this from some of my dear, dear friends and some family members. They say they don't even see the chair. And, And how does that make you feel? That's what I'm going for. Okay. I want them to see me. Yeah, the chair is how I get around, and certainly it's part of my life I have to have. But it's not me. Right. It doesn't find me any further than it allows me to get from here to there. Right, absolutely. So I want to share with you, um, Greg shared a, a comment, and he says, you're blessed to have found such a good mentor. It's life-changing. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, it was really neat. I was able to enjoy a wonderful relationship with him professionally for a long time. Uh, but as we you know, age and do all those kinds of good things, we became really close friends as well. Uh, so I would pop by and see him and distract him from his research all the time. Uh, <laughs> so really became good friends. And, and you're right, it's life changing. So there's a couple of things that you you talked about. So you said you drive now. So mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's another limit that 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 doctor early on had said you're never going to drive again. Um, and you are paralyzed from the, the neck down or the chest? Chest down. Chest down. So how do you drive? Can you explain it to yeah. us? Yeah, it's it's really super, super cool. Um, I, I utilize um, really high-tech gadgetry that was developed out of the 
aeronautical world. Um, there's a company out there that makes uh, hand controls, which are digital in nature, and interact with the vehicle through the quote-unquote fly-by-wire technology. And so on my, on my left hand, I have a device that looks kind of like a throttle on a boat, if folks are familiar with that, except instead of having reverse backwards, it's braking. So I push it forward to accelerate, I pull back to brake. Now my right hand, I've got a little tiny steering wheel that I turn that interacts with the main steering wheel. And that's how I turn it. And of course the floor is lowered and I have a ramp system to get in and I've got a mechanical locking system that locks me and the chair into the vehicle and everything else is push button. This is the fourth vehicle I've had like that. So I've been very fortunate. And um, the, the real barrier to driving is cost. And that's the second real barrier that folks with this kind of dis well, any kind of disability have is it's just crazy expensive. Um, you know, it's like taking out a mortgage every 10 years uh, to buy one of these new vehicles. So, but I've been fortunate, been very fortunate. I've had a lot of help with a lot of people and, and uh, a lot of wonderful fundraisers and, and good folks help me on those ends. That is fantastic. And that is one of the reasons that I feel like we should not place limits because we don't know what advances technology, medicine, science, or, you know, just uh, suddenly for whatever reason, things will, will, you know, not necessarily physically, but um, mentally, maybe all of a sudden things start clicking and firing for some of our students that have specific learning disabilities, you know? Um, and so, you know, not having any kind of, of limit really um, I, I think is so important because we can't tell the future. We, you know, most of the time when I, I'll be honest, when I have spoken about Ophelia and, and her phrase, I've so often been thinking of someone with a disability and not placing a limit on that person. And, and I mean, I'm sorry, not placing it, but not knowing what that person is going to do because of all those technology and, and medical advances we just mentioned. But your situation it's the same, but it's opposite. You know, I mean, you were a, a perfectly healthy individual and then this happened. And so then you had to learn a different style of life after that. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that you said earlier, and I think we had talked about when we discussed today's um, conversation prior is that when you go someplace and you have someone with you, oftentimes they'll, whoever you're um, with will be the one that like, if you're at a doctor or whatever, that they'll talk to, they'll try to talk to the other person first mm -hmm. instead of talking to you. Um, but that you've also found that how you dress because you are an attorney and you tend to dress um, more business-like more often, mm -hmm. that how people speak to you changes too, because you've had a couple of times, I think, where you said you weren't dressed as nice. Mm -hmm. And so can you talk a little, I've kind of almost explained the whole thing, but. <laughs> That, that's great. No, it, it really is interesting and um, something that I've only really more recently have come to really uh, understand or I guess more importantly to observe because I spent so much time early on by myself um, in, in my early practice. I was a, a litigator, so I was in and out of courts and in and out of uh, you know municipalities and localities all the time. I was almost always by myself, um, but as you know, I moved forward in my my practice, I, I cut that out and I do other things now. So I'm constantly in social type settings, meeting people and doing those kinds of things. And so if a waiter or, or a, a, you know, a server will come over, 
oftentimes they'll look at my colleague rather than me, unless I'm wearing a suit and tie, and then it's different. And uh, I, I just, I, I never really recognized that before. But, you know, I, I really try to, uh, when I uh, am out and doing things like that, I try to initiate and let people know, you know, I, I'm okay to talk to you. It's not my brain, it's hurt, it's my neck. Um, so that that's conscious in my mind. Uh, but I do find it interesting, especially in medical facilities where if my girlfriend goes with me or something, they'll ask her about me and she'll just look at him and go, no, you need to talk to him. So I, it, it's also situation dependent. Yeah. Um, but that hasn't happened as much lately. That's good. That's good. But again, that's one of those things that the limits that I refer to are often are just our own cognitive biases that we i'm hoping to change people's cognitive biases by by doing this by the book that i have out by helping people at the iep table um because it's yeah we we just have to address that our our own thinking is wrong and mm -hmm. and fix that so within your practice um there's two other main things that i want to discuss with you today um within your practice you help people set up um I think they're called special needs trusts to to get from to get comfortable for what's going to happen to their children when they're gone. Um, it's a it's a heavy subject. It's a sad subject. Nobody really wants to think about it, but it is something that every parent I think that I have ever spoken to who has a child with pretty significant special needs is a concern of theirs. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, those, those are you know, sort of colloquially called supplemental needs trust or special needs trust or SNP. I like the word supplemental much better because that's really the purpose of this kind of a trust is to help with making sure that the individual who, the, who is the recipient of those funds and assets is enjoying life to the absolute fullest. That's the reason for doing these. Uh, and I do write quite a bit of them, mostly for families with adult children with disabilities, where it's becoming a, a real issue that mom and dad either aren't going to be able to assist or mom or dad or caregiver, whoever, uh, anymore. And uh, that may be for whatever reason, um, you know, physical or age or, or otherwise. What are we going to do for that child to make sure that they can live their fullest life and be taken care of? And so we write a lot of what are called third-party uh, SNTs, and that essentially means that uh, there is a pool of assets that is held out of the equations that are used to uh, govern public support from the likes of low health net or Medicaid in other states, um, so that that individual can have some of the chances at life that the rest of us enjoy. And so I write quite a, quite a few of those. And, you know, that is a tough conversation to have uh, with folks, but I think for me, it's a bit easier because I'm in that world and I have, a, you know, somewhat of a, an immediate kind of credibility by saying, you know, I understand this completely because I live that life myself. Now, I require uh, full-time uh, help in the morning just to get out of bed and to go to bed at night. You know, I have to hire people to do that. So I, I know what that's like. And I know what those scary issues are if those people aren't there. So I think there is a, a kind of a unique bond that makes that conversation, I think, a lot easier. So are there any pitfalls that parents tend to just um, think, oh, I, I can just do this, you know, I can just, uh, for, 
I'm thinking like, okay, well, they have siblings and I'm just going to, you know, say in my will that their siblings are going to take care of them and the siblings have agreed and it's all good. Is that really all good or is there bad sides to that? And what should they be doing instead? Yeah, yeah. Well, there are really two separate issues to look at there. The first is on the financial side. You know, how do we make sure that there are funds, assets, otherwise, you know, things in that trust to take care of child. But the other thing is who, um, and that is most easily taken care of through a trust. Uh, a will does not do that. A will is subject to the probate process. And as such, it is still a public document. As such, it still needs to go into the probate court and go through that process, which is lengthy, time consuming, also very expensive and discretionary. Probate judges do not have to follow exactly what you have in your will. They can deviate. Where a trust avoids all of those kinds of issues and directs the trustee to do exactly what the um, settler or the guarantor, I'm sorry, the grantor, um, have intended to do with those funds and with that child's life. So, oh shoot, I had a question now, it just escaped me. Um, but we do have, so uh, there's, let's see, what do we have here? So Michael says, we had great support from our community but funds were always a concern. We had a trust as well for Hannah. Um, mm -hmm. And that it, Michael's going to be my guest at the end of December, I believe. Um, and he's gonna talk about Hannah and the great things um, that she did. But, oh, that was my question. Um, as far as, as money, um, you know, some people will say, well, I don't have any money. So there's no reason to have a trust for my child with special needs, or I don't have any you know, assets. Um, mm -hmm. Is that a true statement or is that, a misnomer. Yeah, that, that, is, that is a horrible misnomer. Uh, trusts are not for wealthy people. Trusts are for everybody. And the analogy I like to make is uh, to that of a warehouse. Think of a trust as a warehouse you build. And you build it for somebody. And so they are the beneficiary. And when you build it, you are in Missouri, you're the settler. In, in um, Illinois, you are the grantor. But that means that you build it and you put stuff in it. That's, you know, cash or funds or assets or whatever you have. And then you also nominate a trustee and that's the person who is either yourself or someone else that cannot be the individual who receives the benefit, the beneficiary, uh, but somebody who manages those and takes care of those things for that beneficiary. Um, and you don't have to have a lot of money to start it. Um, matter of fact, it can be very small and nominal and it can grow. And the beautiful thing about the third party trust is anybody can put money into it except for the beneficiary. The beneficiary can't put money into it. They can't have their own funds, as a matter of fact, because it, it would run afoul of the reason to have the trust. Uh, but so, you know, grandparents can, can put money in. Fundraisers can put money in. Anybody in the public could put money in that trust and help support that. Wow. So that, that's a lot of information that I didn't know. And um, both of our people who are commenting, I know, have children with a special needs. So hopefully this is helping them. So um, guys, if either of you have any direct questions, um, please put them in here. Now, Greg has asked a question um, and he says, aside from all of us, how has COVID-19 impacted you and in, in, um, if at all? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I am fortunate in that my practice has been fairly virtual and from my home for about three years now. And that's simply because I didn't want a lot of overhead want to be able to meet my clients out and about and, you know, try to make my services as 
economically reachable as possible. So when it hit and you know everybody had to stay inside, I was already really good to go. And uh, apart from, well, two things are really tough about it. The first is I really enjoyed sitting down with people, shaking their hand, looking them in the eye and talking to them about how I might be able to help them. I miss that a lot. I miss that human contact element. Uh, but the second thing is um, when we sit down and actually execute documents, that's been a little clunky. And I know there's an electronic um, application uh, that allows you to circumvent that. But again, I don't like that. I'd rather meet with my clients and shake their hand and thank them for the ability to help them uh, when we finish our work. And that's uh, but other than that, it really hasn't impacted me. As a matter of fact, it's been quite the opposite. I've seen about a threefold increase in my business since then, which is weird because I'm not doing any marketing. I'm not going out <laughs> to see people. I'm not doing the speaking that I've been doing before. So I don't know why, but I just go with it. So I'm, I'm very fortunate. Well, that's good. And uh, Greg asked me to put him in touch with you. So I'm going to share my screen and share your website right now um, yeah. so that we can get a, a little bit of more information about you and how to get in touch with you. Um, so it is westacottlawfirm.com. And um, is there anything specific in this? website that you think I should direct them? To? Well, I guess like estate planning is kind of, that's what we were just talking about. Is that where they would find a little bit of information about the trusts? Absolutely. And feel okay. free to reach out via email um, or, or call. Uh, I'm happy to answer questions. I, I tell my prospective clients, I don't ever start the clock until A, number one, I understand what you need and B, I know I can help you. So I'm always willing to sit down with folks, no matter how long it takes and figure out what we need to do. That's wonderful. So yeah, here's all your services. And then I'm guessing this is gonna, well, maybe, oh, there we go. There you are. And that's the picture that I used to uh, promote today was this picture right here from your website. So um, yeah, that was before I was 45 and needed glasses. So <laughs> well, yeah. So um, Greg, here's the contact button for you to be able to reach out to him. So it's westacottlawfirm.com. So you wanna go check that out. Um, so before I move on to our third and final topic, and Michael, I hope you are able to stay for this last part, because this is going to be so very close to your heart, this last thing that we're going to talk about. But before we go on there, um, is there anything else as far as um, what you do for parents um, with children with disabilities, as far as planning for their future, um, any other pitfalls that, that you want to bring out or anything that you feel is important that you haven't already covered? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. And as you well know, and working with, with people with disabilities every day, it, it, there is such a variability and myriad of kind type breadth of disability that that's hard to, to really answer. So I think I'm gonna give the typical lawyer response and say, it depends. But what I would encourage folks to do is just reach out. I am more than willing just to act as a resource or a connector for those kinds of things that maybe I don't have in my purview that other people do. So um, I, I think that the caveat is just don't feel like there are no answers. Reach out, ask for help, we'll figure it out. And you are only eligible to help people in Illinois and Missouri, or can you help across the country? It, it depends. Uh, I like <laughs> that lawyer answer. <laughs> 
But if, but if it's a question of, of some federal stuff, uh, whether it might be Social Security or Medicaid or Medicare, I always do that. I've been doing this for 20 years and I always do that. <laughs> um, then I, I can advise or help uh, with some of that good stuff too. So it's not just isolated to these two states. Okay. Yeah. Because some of my viewers are from all over the country and some have actually been blessed to have joined me from different parts of the world. Um, so if you're, if you're in Illinois, Missouri, definitely he can, he can advise on a lot more things, but if it's a federal situation, like you said, um, you can, you can go to westacottlawfirm.com or um, you can reach out to me and I can put you in contact with him. So now this is something we're going to end on an exciting note um, because that was a very serious topic. <laughs> and so I am so, so excited for the program that you are on the board of directors for. Um, tell us, Michael, I hope you're with me and I, buddy, you are going to love this. Um, so go ahead, Eric. Yeah. So I, I have the great pleasure of being able to, to give back quite a bit. And I've been very fortunate to sit on a, a number of philanthropic boards and do some amazing things. Uh, but my current passion and the project that I'm really putting a lot of time and effort into is something called Spirit of Discovery Park. And it is just a mind-blowing kind of concept. Uh, the, those of us who are on the board and who are uh, on the advisory board and who are working toward this have the audacious idea that we are going to build the world's second fully inclusive amusement park right here in our metro area. And so when I'm talking about amusement park, I'm not talking about something on the corner where you may have a slide or a swing that's accessible or a braille panel here or there. I'm talking about Six Flags over Mid-America. I'm talking about Disneyland that will be built from the ground up to be as accessible as is currently technologically humanly possible. Our idea is that It's okay. I'm <laughs> I'm not as involved as you are, and I'm I'm so excited. If you get going, Shelly. <laughs> if you um, want, I do have I do have the website pulled up. I can play the little video if you need a second to. I, I give me just a second, then we'll do that because I think that's important. Okay. But our idea is to get rid of barriers, and I think that is what we share in common here. Is we don't want there to be any impediment to any family, regardless of whatever may be in the way, to come and participate in our park. And so that means abilities, not disabilities. And so our tagline is the park built for everybody. And we stand by that. And we will work as we go forward to continue to improve that as technology, as society, as medicine provides ways for us to do that, we will do that. But go ahead if you would, Shelly, that'd be great. I have to forgot I have to share my screen before I try to click over to the website because it won't you can't see anything. I'll just be looking at me. So <laughs> all right, here we go. Okay, so here it is, Spirit of Discovery Park. Um, and I'm gonna play this video and then I'll come back up. So here is the video that I was talking about. Can you hear it okay? Certainly on my end, yes.
Thank you for showing that. Absolutely. Yes. And um, so here's Michael's response when I said I thought he would he would enjoy this. Um, Michael was very crucial in getting what is known as Hannah's Playground, um, which is named after his daughter. And it's a beautiful, accessible playground um, in the town where he lives. And um, it's it's such an amazing opportunity for a lot of people in our area. And I, I just knew that he would love this. <laughs> and I'm so glad that he could join today. Um, and he also said that he was crying. <laughs> um, and so is Greg. So we're doing great. We're all crying today. <laughs> um, but that, I think, just speaks to how much of a need this is and how wonderful it will be. Um, now, this is also similar to, is there something like this in Texas? Correct, correct. So uh, Morgan's Wonderland is the uh, current uh, park that is of this type. And they are really the, the, uh, the drivers and, and the pioneers here. Um, we have essentially partnered with them to take their blueprint, mix it up a little bit, improve on it, and put it down here. Um, so uh, some of the rides and some of the attractions you saw in that video uh, are, are those that they developed from the ground up. Uh, and we're very fortunate to be able to sort of take that initial thrust and go the next level with it, with what current technology applies. And we're going to obviously have our own kind of theme on it um, and our own approach to being here in the Midwest. It's a little easier to get to. But we do plan on our, our park being a worldwide hub, not just a hub for those of us in the metro area, uh, but for the world, because we have wonderful infrastructure here. Believe it or not, we have wonderful um, accessibility here um, for those of us with mobility impairments. Um, and there are wonderful uh, hospitals and medical institutions locally here, too. So it just makes so, so much sense for us to take the next step and take the lead and do this. And so um, how long do we think <laughs> before this might become reality? Yeah, that, that's a wonderful question. And I'm happy to report today that um, we are currently in the initial throes of a negotiation for uh, a, a large tract of land here locally. Um, and we're getting to the table with the kinds of folks who are gonna be those decision makers. And we're having those uh, really, um, groundbreaking and, and starting conversations. And I'm very positive that we're gonna have uh, an opportunity to have a really good outcome here. Um, the, the issue, as you well know, is funding. And for us, uh, our initial estimates are that just to put shovel in ground and break ground, we're looking at over $50 million. Mm. Uh, that's, that's a big number, yeah. but uh, people in, in our community are 
philanthropically minded and generous. And this kind of concept appeals to everybody. That's not just a single kind of focus. And so we're very certain that uh, everyone will come out and see this and want to give and want to be able to participate. So we have, we have really no worries that that's going to happen. We just need to put it together and make it go. Right. So I don't know if you can all read this. Um, so I'm going to read it to you. I apologize for, I know some people hate to be read to. Um, Many of us have fond memories of visiting theme parks as children, but not everyone can be so lucky. There are children and parents all across our world that have challenges that prevent them from enjoying theme parks and activities of many kinds. Recently, a group of individuals has come together to give their time and talent to take on the monumental task of developing an amusement park specifically designed for every body, including those with physical and mental disabilities and special needs. Once built, families will visit this park without the fear of a loved one being left out of the fun. Um, so then it says, learn more about what we are trying to do by listening to an interview with Jamie Van on the weekly yes. And is there more to it? Did I need to scroll down? Podcast. And and podcast. Okay. Um, so I'm I'm hoping to also get to uh, have Jamie on our program as well. Um, mm -hmm. So here's some ways to help. Um, it's on the website, which is spiritofdiscoverypark.com. Um, did I not? Oh, so there's here's your ways to donate. Mm -hmm. um, and there's an R. Oh, here we go. Okay. Now it just took a minute for it to wake up. <laughs> I, I, and I would encourage folks to. Um, it, it's, it's wonderful if you can write a check. I, I, I would greatly appreciate that. But if you can't, you can still help. You can always share ideas with us. You can always give us feedback. But most importantly, you can go out in your community and talk about this. That's what we'd ask people to do right now is share, share, share. If you're excited about it, let's talk more so that you can become more involved and you can be more active in the way that you can share this information. But let's disseminate this out to the world because it's what's needed. Right. Absolutely. Um, before I stop sharing this website, is there anything else on here that you would like me to show the audience right now? Yeah, you know, I, I think just uh, inviting people to to come out and, and, and take a look at that themselves is is the most wonderful thing you could do. So thank you. I think okay. we're good. Perfect. Awesome. Um, so they've got some events coming up, so um, you can check those out as well on the website. So I am so, so excited for that. Um, I, I can I can just I can just hear the laughter and the joy happening. Um, and that's that's so exciting to me. Um, Greg asked, is there a way at some point someone can help in any means? Uh, absolutely. Um, reach out to Jamie on the website. Reach out to me. Um, I, I believe our Facebook page is updated uh, twice a day. Um, I, I'm sad that I'm not a, uh, a real social media person. But I understand our, our Instagram and our Twitter are ways that you can find information and figure out how you can help you. So please just reach out. Don't be shy. That's what we ask. Don't be shy. Yeah. And Greg, I will tell you, I was introduced to Eric from another person and he has been so receptive and so kind. I mean, obviously he's on the show today because of that introduction. And Eric, I so appreciate that. I so appreciate your willingness to share about your life. Um, 
before we wrap up, I just want to make sure that that we have covered everything that you thought we were going to cover today and um, give you an opportunity to, to say your final thoughts. Well, first of all, thank you again. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I welcome the opportunity to talk about our park and, and if I can help people out, that's that's just a bonus uh, from a professional end. And if we can maybe inspire some folks to do something they otherwise don't think they could do, all the better as well. Um, I wish you all the best. I want to make sure that people know about your book, that it's available out there for sale right now and really would encourage them to go out and, and grab a copy and tell people about a podcast. Uh, hashtag No Limits is fantastic. And let's spread the word. Thank you. Thank you so much. And yeah, my book, Those Who Can't Teach, is available on Amazon, and it's also available through my website. And another thing that is available on my website, which I'm going to pop up here, um, if you are someone who sits at the IEP table and you would like to have a free virtual or in-person IEP checklist, you can just go to my website and fill out a little form and it'll be automatically sent to you. Um, and yeah, you can purchase the book there. Or like I said, you can go to Amazon and it's available through that. Any day now, it should be available in ebook form. It Actually, it's it's available. It's just got to get in there rotation of, of putting it out there for sale. So um, I thank you for that, Eric, for that shout out. Um, and yeah, if, if, uh, if there's anything anybody needs from myself or Eric, you just reach out to us um, and we will both be glad to help you. Um, Michael says, I'm very excited to hear about this as well. And thank you for your time and efforts to make this possible. And I absolutely concur with that. Um, I, I'm so excited once to hear about it and to know that um, there are some great people like yourself involved in it and um, getting it on the ground and, and ready to open. Um, so again, thank you, Eric, for joining me today. And thank you, Greg and Michael, for joining me. And um, anyone else who was tuned in that didn't comment, it's I so appreciate you. Please share this video. Um, if you like it, give it a thumbs up. Um, if you're subscribed, I mean, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe there for us so that we know and uh, follow Eric on our, I guess not follow you, I guess it's following Spirit of Discovery Park on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook hey. and mm -hmm. yeah. So, all right, well guys, and it's been all guys in the comments today, <laughs> um, but ladies and gentlemen, thank you all so much. I wish you all a very Merry Christmas. Eric, again, I can't thank you enough for being here and for all that you're doing. And, and thank you for being a part of the Hashtag No Limits group. Have a great day. My pleasure.